MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 28th, 2021. Hey everybody, it's AG and I promise I am on vacation, but during the month of June, I was able to reach out to 10 incredible people and speak to them about their many projects and I can't wait for you to hear about them all. Today, I'll be speaking to the author of The Cult of Trump, Dr. Stephen Hassan, and Josh Levs, the top global expert on modern dads at work. I hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm honored today to be joined by Dr. Stephen Hassan. He is the author of the book, The Cult of Trump, a leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control, and he has a new online course called Understanding Cults, The Basics, that you can find at freedomofmind.com. Dr. Hassan, welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Allison. It's truly an honor to speak with you today because we have a lot, and I'm sure it's not just in our listenership, and it's, it's people everywhere who are trying to find out how to approach conversations with people who are in the cult of Trump. So could you maybe start by telling us what the cult of Trump is and what prompted you to write the book? Wow. Um, so briefly, I was approached by my agent uh, with the idea of doing a book called The Cult of Trump. And I immediately said it would alienate everybody who's in the cult. And that's not my approach. <laughs> and he said, well, they won't buy the book anyway. <laughs> and anyway, it went on from there. Uh, and I thought about the opportunity to take my life work ever since I got rescued by my family in 1976 from the Moonies cult uh, and becoming a mental health professional and helping people get out of cults. It was an opportunity to take my knowledge and apply it to Donald Trump. And I knew he was a malignant narcissist, so I knew already I had a chapter on Malignant Narcissism, the Stereotypical Profile of Cult Leaders, uh, which turned out to be chapter three in the book. But what I didn't, and I figured his business enterprise were, were, were functioning like a cult of personality around him. But I didn't understand until I dug into research for the book that there were actual authoritarian cults that were manipulating him and it was their followers that were his, going to be his base. And I also didn't understand how involved Russia and Putin was in the cult of Trump either. But um, it was a deep dive very quickly. And uh, looking back on it, I got everything right. It's all been validated, especially since the failed insurrection violent insurrection attempt of January 6th. What I do regret missing is uh, the Council of National Policy as an entity. Um, I talked about the Christian right, but I didn't name that particular group. Ann Nelson wrote a really important book called Shadow Network that I want to direct your listeners to consider reading. Um, 
And I probably, if I, and I actually asked my my editor if they would consider letting me do an updated edition, because I would do more on Falun Gong that does the Epoch Times propaganda. I do more on the Moonies, my former cult that was actually present at the insurrection on January sixth. I would do. Um, I, I would just uh, update the QAnon phenomenon to ritualize the abuse. That's what it's morphing into is satanic ritual abuse, which we went through with the Christian right in the 80s and the satanic panic uh, stuff. And it really is um, a war, as I see it, between authoritarians who are malignant narcissists who think that People are uh, to be controlled and manipulated and kind of a version of social Darwinism. Well, we're, we're billionaires, so we can mess with everybody else and make them do what we want. Uh, and people who believe in human rights and the Constitution and rule of law. And, you know, uh, let's live and survive together on planet Earth. So it seems to be shaping up in that way. And I don't see uh, a positive ending unless everybody gets educated about how the mind works and how it can be hijacked, how, how destructive authoritarian cults operate, understand um, you know, the dynamics of authoritarian control in terms of controlling people's behavior, information, thoughts, and feelings to make a new identity that's dependent and obedient on the leadership or the ideology. So, but that's what we're dealing with right now. And I do think there's hope, but we need to get to the influencers in the media, in private philanthropy, in the business, high tech, in politics. And we need to do a ground up and a top down uh, effort. As I see it. Yeah. I was just talking the other day uh, with a friend of mine about the future, how it ends. And we kind of felt like if those things didn't happen, the things that you mentioned with the media, big tech and, you know, influencers getting involved, that this cult of personality is so strong that if if something doesn't happen with a mass education, we're just going to have to wait it out. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that was my main concern. Yeah. And I want to be clear. My thinking has always been that Donald Trump was a, a, a puppet more than the mastermind. He's a very uneducated person and uh, he knows how to manipulate the media or he did know how to manipulate the media, especially when he had unfettered access to Facebook and Twitter and other mainstream things. But um, this organ, this, this so-called popularism is what the media is calling it worldwide, is really authoritarianism uh, that's cloaked as we want to empower people against the elites to take back the power. But it's a, 
It's a total distraction, deflection, and manipulation. Yeah, and and I think that that was on full display if you watch the movie that Trump played at the Ellipse on the day of the Capitol attack. I mean, it was straight out of a Nazi propaganda Goebbels situation with the Hollywood imagery and, uh, I mean, the the eyes, the close-up on the eyes, and then the industry and things working and armies march. Like, it was just, it was very frightening the way that they did that. But you're right. I, I agree with you in the puppet sense of what you were saying, because much like Carter Page, I've read so much information on the Russians grooming Trump and why he made an excellent target to be utilized for what they used him for. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you. Exactly. On that. I did a very interesting interview with uh, Craig Unger and Yuri Schwetz, uh, an American compromat. What surprised me, what I didn't know, was that Epstein was and Delane Maxwell were involved with Putin, and 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 they were videotaping all these famous people and politicians and influencers to blackmail them, to control them, and that's part of the corruption uh, in the real sense, the swamp uh, of corruption on the on the left, on the right, in the middle, but of people being manipulated and controlled out of fear, out, uh, out of greed, out of uh, manipulation of their egos. Oh, yeah. People weren't giving uh, Jeffrey Epstein tens of millions of dollars because he's a good financier. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, we also spoke with uh, Craig Unger, that very fascinating book, American Compromise. I wanted to ask you about now the periphery of, uh, of some of these sort of groups that seemed to already exist, but then found hooks into the Trump cult, like the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters. Uh, where do you place them in, in this cult? I think it's going to become more and more clear that the uh, January 6th was a planned military coordinated uh, coup effort to um, undo the uh, certification of Biden's win. Um, and I think that that for the most part, I don't have any evidence to the contrary. Um, this was more of a cultish deception mind control thing than people just straight out being hired to be mercenaries uh, to do this deed. Could be wrong. There seems to be this whole ideological component to a lot of these people and these groups where they're uh, just very extreme authoritarian Catholicism or what I wrote in Cult of Trump, the New Apostolic Reformation groups where the leaders each claim to be an apostle or a prophet and get direct revelation. They cast out demons and speak in tongues. It's those folks are spiritual warriors, quote unquote, um, to do God's bidding, who believe that Trump was anointed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so to answer your question, I think I think this year is going to be very interesting, and I'm just hoping there will be uh, public hearings in the Senate and the Congress on topics like disinformation and cult authoritarian cultism and QAnon 
as well as um, you know the prosecution really doing their due diligence to explain all the forensic um, digital evidence. Because when I was involved with researching QAnon with a group of people like Dave Troy, Amanda Rifkin, Jim Stewartson, it, it was clear that 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 the ideology was re, refurbished I am movement from the 1930s of the Ballards who are fascists and silver shirts. And and there and Dave Troy has just put out a, uh, a podcast on the the big history behind one six, which is worth listening to. I just did an interview with him. There are these these strands of individuals who've had agendas, uh, whether they're neo-Nazis, whether they're uh, fossil fuel uh, industrial people who want to keep perpetuating global climate change as a hoax because of financial and geopolitical reasons, uh, or these authoritarian religious figures who just want to enslave people for their own power, money, and sexual appetites. Wow. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And, and I think that you're right with what will probably, I mean, it seems pretty clear when you look at it from a 30,000 foot view that 1-6 was a military coup yeah. attempt uh, to overthrow the government of the United States. I mean, it, bleh, and, you know, we've got different groups of people that were there. We've got people who were there to see Trump, who were just milling around, who were Trump fans, who were like they were the distraction Allison yep. they, they were they were the they they were the theater but the 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 actual uh, military stuff they came within a minute to two of succeeding well i remember dr hassan watching this on tv i woke up i was so happy we just won georgia ossoff warnock won ah you know all we got to do now is to certify these results something that they don't normally televise and i wish they hadn't because i kept telling them don't make this an event that people well it was too late anyway uh they and i'm just going to get ready to watch it have some coffee in the morning and then bam under attack and i'm i'm feeling violated watching it and I see uh, going up the stairs of the Capitol in a stack with their arms on their shoulders, a bunch of people in military gear. And I said, I, my first thought was Blackwater. Those are Eric Prince guys or, you know, something. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. But, uh, you know, be a good guess. We'll see that we find out now they're Oath Keepers and that it was coordinated. And, you know, they had shirts made. I mean, it was if this was everybody knew it was happening, except apparently the Capitol Police Intelligence Unit. Well, I don't know. I, it seems like they had insiders who were, uh, you know, traitors. They sure did. They sure did. that Because we had one person who wanted to make an emergency declaration on that day and two other people said no. And they don't work there anymore. So we should we should get to the bottom of that. And I think um, they're going to call for I think she called Pelosi called yesterday for a select committee to investigate it. Mm. But uh, I think the DOJ will also do a good job. I do want to ask you a couple more questions about cult and deprogramming and your personal experience with it. But I have to take sure. a quick break. Would you mind staying with me? Sure. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG for The Beans. Hosting this podcast has made me more curious about the puzzling mysteries of life. What is the real story with the Loch Ness Monster? Did Bigfoot ever exist? Is Marjorie Taylor Greene part Bigfoot and part Nessie, or is she some other kind of monster entirely? Well, when you need a break from contemplating the big questions, it's time to take on a puzzle that's meant to be solved. 
like the literally thousands of puzzle-solving levels on Best Fiends. And unlike mulling over the mysteries of the universe, Best Fiends leaves your brain feeling refreshingly challenged. Best Fiends makes my brain feel invigorated, like I just got out of a steaming hot sauna. It's amazing. The best thing is that it doesn't require the internet, so I can play it anywhere, anytime, even when I'm traveling, and I don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. I've been playing for over a year now, uh, and I still get that rush of adrenaline when I beat a level. I love the increasingly challenging puzzles and beautiful visual design. It's very relaxing. Best Fiends has tons of fun puzzles to solve, and unlike matching puzzle games, where all you have to do is the same repetitive thing like smashing fruits over and over, Best Fiends has variety. And, you know, strategy. The only downside, sometimes I can't put it down. I'm already on level 2008, but there are thousands of levels still waiting. With Best Fiends, there's something new to play every day. I love all the new updates, exploring new levels, catching new fiends, and leveling up these cute collectible characters. What is not to love? Uh, I like how the challenges get harder and harder as you destroy the evil slugs. And there's multiple ways of earning in-game currency. So if you're hungry for a near-endless supply of fun puzzles, the kind you can actually enjoy solving, try out Best Fiends today. Just don't blame me if you can't turn it off. Download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with the author of The Cult of Trump, Dr. Stephen Hassan. And uh, before the break, we talked a great deal about some of these groups and peripheral groups and how they got wrapped up in, into one six and what that looked like and how it's a continuation of what we saw in the Trump presidency. And I think it's still going on with the Arizona audit and the, and these kinds of and the big lie and all that. But I wanted to ask you about deprogramming because so many people that that are patrons of the show or listen to the Daily Beans have a relative. They usually describe them as educated college degree, et cetera, master's degrees, who won't, who, who can't be told anything about Donald Trump and are constantly asking me, how do I even, what do I even do? You know, and my only answer is just, you know, just show them facts that, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what else to tell them, but I bet you, I bet you do. <laughs> so, I mean, the long story short is um, one needs to learn more about what cults are about and mind control and what I refer to as the dual identity phenomenon. So, for example, for me in the Moonies, there was the old Steve Hassan or the authentic Steve Hassan and then the Mooney Steve Hassan. And the key to helping somebody exit is to access who they were before they ever heard of the cult um, uh, or got involved and indoctrinated. And what doesn't work is saying anything negative against the leader, the doctrine, or the group policy. So any frontal approach, factual approach is going to actually deepen the person's involvement instead of what you want. And so what I teach is for folks is that love is stronger than mind control. And if it's a family member or a friend, you have to go back in your mind to when they were normal, <laughs> when, when, when you could have a relationship with them. And always keep in mind that person is still in there. It's just their neurons have been hijacked by this new pseudo cult identity. And the single best uh, frame that I recommend one, uh, well, first of all, a lot of people out of survival have cut off contact with their family and friends because they just got tired of the fire hose of propaganda, which was a Putin 
uh, approach, by the way, as you know from active measures. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but reestablish contact is the first step. Don't be political. Just like, I miss you. How are you? You know, did you catch the basketball game? How's the weather? I came across this old photo of us together canoeing. Remember how great a time it was. In other words, go for rapport and trust building, uh, reaccessing who they were before they got into the mind control situation, and then adopt a frame with them of, you know what, I respect you. You're intelligent. You're educated. I mean, don't don't lie. Don't make up something if they're not educated. But if they are, you know, acknowledge them and say, you know, if it's true what you believe, then I need to believe it too. I don't currently believe it, but I'm interested in knowing what's true. Are you interested in knowing what's, oh yeah, I'm interested in knowing what's true too. So you adopt a frame of let's find out together what's true. And you make a deal with them instead of them sending you 40 videos to watch to quote, do your own research, unquote, which means get indoctrinated by all of these videos. You say, let's let's go one step at a time and let's make a deal that you share something that was really important to you. When you think back in time to what convinced you to believe in Trump or what convinced you to believe in QAnon, Go back and tell me, like, was it a movie? Was it a person? Was it a chat room? And pick out something and let me watch it with you. We'll discuss it. And then it's my turn to share something. We'll watch it together. We'll discuss it. And the the single most powerful technique is asking a respectful question and then being quiet and waiting for an answer and then following up. So in other words, instead of a persuasion frame of I'm right, you're wrong, I know the truth, you've been deluded, which of course, you know, they say to me, I've been brainwashed by the left media, mm-hmm. right? So, so I'm like, oh, really? I, I, if I'm brainwashed, then, then I need to understand what brainwashing is. Please explain it to me, which they're like, oh, and then I'm like, well, In my research, I studied Chinese communist brainwashing. That's what helped me get out of the Moonies. Mm -hmm. Are you interested in looking at those models? Oh, and they're all all interested in Chinese communist brainwashing, right? So I use that as a frame to explain Lifton's eight criteria and how it fit the Moonies and how the Moonies were big supporters of Trump. So I keep working in my personal dialogue. The other thing with Trump followers is pimps and traffickers. They're interested if I say, you know, pimps and traffickers use brainwashing and mind control to get people to be victims of them. Mm. So it becomes, it's not a one hour uh, project. If someone's been in this for months, and they're constantly have their smartphones and they're constantly getting notifications and everything else, it's gonna be a slog. If you can kind of convince them to watch the Social Dilemma documentary and get them to realize they need to turn off their digital medium for a few hours a day and go walk in the woods 
go surfing, do something fun in nature to like remind them that reality is not coming through the, the virtual world. Mm. Like being in your body in the here and now with real people is where it's at. Yeah, or even better, take those couple of hours to do something that the old you would have done with a loved one. And then that you'd... 100%. Yeah, you kind of get two birds there. 100%. But I, I can't tell you, Allison, how many people I've asked, tell me your first memory of learning about who Donald Trump was like what is your friend and a lot of people say oh i saw the apprentice well, what'd you think i thought he was a jerk or i remember when he was cheating on his wife you know or whatever to get them back in time to remember what they actually thought of trump before yeah and then like help me understand you thought he was a jerk you thought he was an egotist a misogynist a rapist whatever Tell me how, you know, give me the step by step and 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 help them understand. And that's another thing that I'm actively involved with is something called the uh, hashtag I got out movement. Mm. Um, there's a website, I got and a group of colleagues and friends of mine who are ex cult members. We want to make a, an easy exit ramp for people from the cult of Trump and QAnon by destigmatizing it, by saying, look, you know, I got lied to and I spent 12 years in this cult or that cult. And now I have a life, you know, like mm -hmm. not make it, you know, only stupid, weak people get into those things. No, right? yeah, because, we, you know, we talk, I've talked at length about this with a friend of mine, David Weissman, who is a former Trump supporter. I wrote about him in the book. Yep. Yeah, and uh, he, you know, we talk about how you know, we want people to change. We want people to stop following Trump. We, then we have to make room for them to do that because if we don't, then then what are we even trying to get people to change for? Yeah, but doing it out of respect. And that's what I wrote in my book about David was that he was trolling Sarah Silverman and he was shocked that she said, you know, said, thank you for your service because he's a veteran. And he was shocked. And then she said, well, what's your a solution for gun, gun, you know, violence. <laughs> and all of a sudden he had to think <laughs> instead of just fighting online. And it really helped him open up his eyes. And now he's, he's really been a very mm -hmm. great educator that it's okay to be a follower and then wake up and say, you know what, I shouldn't have believed in, in Trump. Yeah. I think um, understanding how to do that on an individual basis, person to person, my, my main concern comes with what you specifically said about when you say something negative about the leader or the doctrine, that actually deepens the person's allegiance to the cause or to the person. And we see that every day on social media, online, in the news, in the media. I mean, we're constantly deepening that commitment to Trump on the other side by pushing Right. You have to step into their mind and they think they're they're we're the we're the Goliath, we're the giant, you know, mainstream media entity and they're the persecuted minority. And when you attack, then you're just validating that that frame that, that we're in a war and we're the underdog and we're being persecuted. So the other thing is just seek truth, like whatever is true, we need we need to live together 
um, on planet Earth? Like, what's your plan on how to do this? Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, everybody, you need to read The Cult of Trump. And then also take the online course. It's called Understanding Cults, The Basics. You can get that by going to freedomofmind.com and clicking on resources. You'll see it there. And clearly what we've learned today is that the way to, to combat this is to teach people about the basics of cults. And I say that that's probably the top two ways to do that is to read Dr. Hassan's book and, and take that online course. So thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it, Dr. Hassan. Pleasure, Allison. Continued success. You as well. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison, and this portion of The Beans is brought to you by the total game changer for design, Canva Pro. When it comes to my level of design experience, I consider myself intermediate, maybe. I haven't mastered some of the fancy programs, but I have my fair share of posters and logos and graphic art. I believe my progress would have been accelerated with superior design tools and big, a bigger budget to achieve bigger design ideas. But hey, you work with what you've got. And I'm excited to say now that I have Canva Pro, and my designs are next level. Canva Pro is the easy-to-use design platform that has everything you need to design like a pro. Whether you're a professional designer or just getting started, Canva Pro can help boost you and your team's productivity and creativity. It's quick, easy, and affordable, and it's the best way to design whatever you need. No matter what you're creating and sharing, Canva Pro has everything you need in one place, including a collection of over 75 million premium photos, videos, audio, and graphics. Plus, Canva Pro comes with time-saving tools that simplify and speed up the creative process. You get all this and more in just one Canva Pro subscription. My favorite Canva Pro feature is the access to over 400,000 free templates with new designs daily, plus the 100 gigs of cloud storage. It's pretty sweet, too. The other feature I enjoy using most with Canva Pro is the ability to use their millions of stock photos, videos, and audio stuff, and all their graphics. It's amazing. I make posters, social media templates with Canva Pro, and it's so much easier than having to do it from scratch. And anyone can use it from anywhere. There's nearly an infinite variety of posters and graphic designs you can come up with quickly. There's no idea too big or too small for Canva Pro. We have such a variety of listeners on this show, students, nonprofits, entrepreneurs, activists. Do yourselves a favor and get Canva Pro. There's an endless array of creative possibilities that Canva Pro can help bring to life. Design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use our promo code. Just go to canva.me beans to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash beans. Canva.me beans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am proud to be joined by the author of the book called All In, How Our Work First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. Please welcome Josh Loves. Josh, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. And I know that is a long subtitle. <laughs> hey, that's what we do nowadays, right? I'm working on a book, too. The subtitle has all the information in it. It's important. <laughs> that's HarperCollins' idea, so we can thank them. <laughs> thank you, HarperCollins. Yes. Um, this is such an important topic, especially from a dad's point of view. You're an expert on modern dads at work. You spent 20 years, it says here, reporting for CNN and NPR, and in 2013, you took legal action against Time Warner. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I was um, covering, I was a fact checker on air on CNN, fact checking everybody, politicians and pundits. And then I um, became a dad and started also doing segments about fatherhood. And I started to discover that there were all these myths about parenthood too. So I was doing fact checks about parenthood. And then I became a dad um, and uh, was our, we kept having drama every time. Um, but with our, our third child, with our daughter, my wife and I looked at what was going on in our family and we realized that I would be needed at home after she was born to do caregiving. 
Now, I knew that that's normal. I was fact checking on the air about the fact that dads do caregiving, too. However, uh, policies have not kept up with that reality. So the policies I was under at CNN made it so that anyone could get 10 paid weeks after having a kid, except a guy who got his wife pregnant. (laughs) Anyone could get 10 paid weeks except a biological father in a traditional scenario. So I went to the company in secret, basically quietly behind the scenes. I said, look, this had to be a mistake. There's no way when you were adding all these people that could get 10 paid weeks, you meant to leave out the option of dads being the caregivers. They said, oh, thanks a lot. Well, that's interesting. Put it in writing. Um, I did, and I got no answer. Uh, and months went by with no answer. And then my wife had severe preeclampsia, which was very scary. They had to induce. Our daughter was born prematurely. And I still could get no answer. So two weeks later, a guy could like me could only get two weeks. Two weeks later, I, I was home and I sent a message to work saying, hey, am I getting this time to care for my preemie four pound baby girl and my two boys and my sick wife or am I coming back to work and that's when they said no I could not have the same leave that anyone else would get so I launched that uh, legal battle and the short version is that ultimately Time Warner revolutionized its policy made it much better for just about everybody so it does have in that sense for other families a happy ending why do you think it's there's such a lag time in catching up with this concept of dads. I don't know. I don't. It's kind of mind boggling to me. It is. And, you know, generations of, of people who fought for gender equality, you know, feminists uh, understood the importance of men as caregivers. This was a big thing that Ruth Bader Ginsburg focused some of her efforts on fatherhood. Um, but most people in business have never even heard about this as an issue. And they don't even know that making sure women have equal opportunity in the workplace requires making sure that men have equal opportunity to be caregivers. If you're deciding for the family that the woman has to stay home, the man has to stay at work, yeah, you're going to hurt women's careers. So no one has ever presented this to them before. And a lot of people in power don't realize the reality of modern parenthood today, that all the data show men want more time at home. But when we try to take more time at home, uh, men get fired or demoted or lose job opportunities and families can't afford for the guy to lose the job. So we're stuck in this mad men cycle. Yeah. And it's not just a this isn't a lot of people frame this as some sort of men's rights issue, but it's it's not. It's a family rights issue. It's a woman's rights issue. It's a feminism issue. It's, there's so many aspects to this that that feed into the the old. I mean, just it it reeks of hanging on to the traditional values that the woman is the caregiver. Yeah. Uh, paternity. I, I tell people this all the time. Paternity leave with a P is a crucial women's rights issue. And this is the giant missing half of building gender equality in the workplace. You can't have it. <laughs> you know, it's like um, Cheryl Sandberg is in my book. And, you know, we talked about this, so I'm not co-opting her when I say this. And she agrees. Women cannot lean in if they can't be there in the first place. And they can't be there in the first place if the guy is unable to share the caregiving at home. And we have this uh, system right now that I say boils down to laws, policies, and stigmas that prevent true equal opportunity with caregiving. Um, And all these people want to change, but we're up against these laws, policies, and stigmas. So until we change those, we won't be able to fix the workplace. And and I imagine there are multiple, I guess, sort of impacts, including brain drain, right? I mean, you're not going to go and work for a firm that doesn't allow this and and they're missing out on an opportunity to kind of recruit and retain top talent when they when they don't offer this. Exactly. And this is where we get into data. Like I have a partnership with Dubmen Plus Care. We do a bunch of research there. Uh, we have this international survey showing that 85% of men say they want so much to have more time at home. Uh, but men and women agree that the biggest force is holding them back 
are uh, the finances. They can't risk losing their jobs and the stigmas. Uh, and then, yeah, you, you see this play out in all sorts of other ways with brain drain. So uh, a huge number in my book, I found the statistic said it's about half the women who drop out of the workforce, more than half are doing so because uh, their husbands couldn't get any time off to do any caregiving. Meanwhile, what a lot of people don't realize is that men are dropping out of their jobs. There was a study from Ernst & Young that found that in the United States, men are even more likely than women to switch jobs or careers or take pay cuts um, or move to another state in order to have more time with their families. The difference is that as guys, when we drop out of our jobs to go to another job that supports us as fathers, we're usually not telling our bosses that that's why we're leaving. So a lot of companies don't realize that they're losing great women who drop out of the workforce. They're losing great men who go to other companies that will support them. And they're wasting tons of money trying to attract new people when they could have held on to these great employees that they already had. Yeah. And there's uh, this isn't a new concept, right? Because the government realized this a long time ago, the federal government as far, uh, you know, I worked there for over a decade and the entire time I was there, uh, men and women, anybody could could get 12 weeks of FMLA. Uh, you just had to have a, a medical reason of somebody you're taking care of or, some, or taking care of yourself. So for private, this is a seems like a private industry problem. And a lot of the pushback is, well, you know, we don't have a model for this. We need to do research. I, there's plenty of very effective already in place FMLA rules that that are beautiful models for how to do this. Yes. It took a huge battle for America to get FMLA, which guarantees um, about 60 percent of American workers um, unpaid leave of up to 12 weeks. Um, it doesn't apply to everybody. It doesn't apply to small firms. There are exceptions. But um, a lot of people have this unpaid leave option. The problem is most people cannot afford unpaid leave. Families need some kind of money coming in. And when I spoke at the UN, a big part of what I said was I, I finally came to understand what people complain about a lot, that you know, a lot of people point out America is the only major uh, economy in the world, uh, almost the only nation at all, even include tiny countries, uh, that does not have any paid maternity leave. Um, and I came to understand in the process of doing this book and research why that is. It's all based on the way of thinking. The thinking is she's a woman. She doesn't need to make money. She stays home. He's a man. He needs to make money. He has to go to work and make money. So why would you give her money? It's all based on mad men, all of it. And when the result of <laughs> mad men, <laughs> that we have no system to make sure that when a baby is born, it can have a parent at home and food on the table for at least a block of weeks. There's nothing to make sure of that. That's how disastrous this is. And it's all based on sexism. Yeah. And I should say for the federal government, if you do take that 12 weeks, you have to use your earned leave. It's not free as it were. And there, I mean, they do have like leave donation programs if you don't have that much leave saved up, but you're using your earned leave to take that 12 weeks. It's not just like 12 weeks of paid leave and you don't have to eat away your the leave that you've earned. And many people with families don't have a lot of leave on the books. Right. And the thing is, more and more companies now are now announcing that they're giving several months of paid paternity leave and maternity leave. And I, you know, most of what I do on this is work with businesses. Um, I do a lot of adventure businesses and I talk them through their policies and cultures. And what I explain is that these businesses making these announcements are not doing it to be nice. It's not like they're getting caught up in some nice idea. It's because it benefits the bottom line. So this is the rare Thing in which there's a solution that should make everyone happy. The solutions that we need, like paid family leave insurance that you pay into, all these kinds of things are proven to increase profits, 
keep people in the workforce, be better for children, better for families, better for women and men and babies. There isn't a loss on this. This is the rare example of a rising tide lifts all boats. But what we need to do is get the Republican side on board with the Democrats to actually get something national going. Yeah. And there's all these intangible unintended benefits as well as as far as education for the kids and them being able to be in school. And uh, and that impacts us down the line. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, how to engage men on issues of, of gender equality and diversity. But I do have to take a quick break. Josh, will you stay with me? Great. Everybody will be right back. Hello, everyone. It's AG and this Helping the Beans is brought to you by my new favorite snack, Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars. They make delicious snacks that have close to no sugar. It's very tough to find healthy snacks. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation because they're not very good, but these are amazing and they're filling and they satisfy your cravings. That is why I'm so glad I discovered them. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories each. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle or people who just want to snack healthier. And I love snacking. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have the perfect balance of sweet and savory, that good crunch that you desire from whole nuts and seeds, but they still manage to be soft and chewy. And they're so delicious. They have different flavors like caramel sea salt and peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite right now is peanut butter dark chocolate. It's so delicious. And since they're packed with protein, they're filling and satisfying. They're perfect for an after workout snack. Uh, In addition to being keto friendly, they're gluten free, plant based, non GMO. No soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols, and no artificial colors. I'm obsessed with these bars, so I always have them around. That's why I signed up for a subscription. It saves me 10%, and they send them directly to my house. Try it for yourself, and you'll see. And we have a special deal for you. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% happiness guarantee, so if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange your product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So there's no risk. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product and then enter the code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and we thank them for sponsoring the show. And today's show is also brought to you by Allform. If you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard me talk about my Helix mattress and how it solved my sleep problems because it was customized for me. But exciting news, Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and they've launched a new company called Allform. They're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. Allform makes the most beautiful high-quality furniture to fit your personal style. Their sofas and chairs are designed with your specifications in mind, and they're delivered directly to you with fast free shipping. You get to customize your own luxury furniture using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. With Allform, you pick your fabric, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant, great for the pod pets. You pick the color, the finish of the legs, the sofa size, and the configuration, and you make sure it's perfect for you and your home. So I got a three-seater sofa with whiskey-colored leather, walnut leg finish, and a chaise lounge at the end. Came in a couple days, put it together myself, and I absolutely love it. It is roomy and modern and comfy, and my favorite part is it's designed to my specifications. The other great thing about Allform is how incredibly fast they deliver. Normally, if you want a custom sofa, it can take months. But this arrives in just three to seven days in the mail, and you can put it together yourself with no tools needed. They have beautiful armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight seat sectionals. So there's something for everyone. And you can always start start small and add on if your family grows or you move into a bigger house. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. So there's no risk here. They also have a forever warranty. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash daily beans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash daily beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the author of the book, All In, How Our Work First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. And now I want to talk, Josh Levs, about the how we can fix it together part, because it's there seems to be sort of this weird 
stigma about engaging men on issues of gender equality and diversity. What are your what's your advice on on those types of issues? Because I'm seeing this a lot in the workplace, especially with the advent of the Me Too movement. Men just throwing up their hands and saying, well, I'm never going to be in a meeting with another woman again. This is just too dangerous. And uh, uh, like it's really impossible not to harass someone. But I think it's important that we talk about how to effectively engage men in these discussions. Yeah. Well, fortunately, a lot of that was overblown. Like, there were these false headlines that said two thirds of men won't mentor women anymore uh, because they're afraid because of Me Too. But then I looked at the data and it actually showed 9%. So that's another example of like where you need fact checking. Um, but no, it is true. So so the problem is, uh, you know, how there's this stereotype that in the workplace, men in a meeting will do all the talking and talk over women. Uh, when it comes to family issues, men go completely silent and they generally do not feel welcome to talk about this. And I've talked to guys about why this is. One of the biggest reasons is that men are convinced that if they say anything about how they're struggling with work-life balance, uh, that, that a woman will say to them, you man in a patriarchy, who are you to complain? You have it great, I have it bad. And what I tell people is that's not what happens. Look what happened when I announced my legal case, women were hugely supportive of this. And women and men secretly want to work together on this, but men stay completely reticent about it. So there are cultural elements that I work in businesses to, to change. But what I tell people all the time is that number one is communication, that when you are wrestling with something, if a woman turns to a man that she works with or reaches out through a message or Slack or whatever and says, hey, I wrestle with how to get my kids to all their appointments while still um, getting all my work done or any kind of caregiving. You know, I'm wrestling with caring for my elderly mother. I know you care for your elderly mother. How, and when you invite a man into a conversation about caregiving, it uh, allows him to start talking about this. So what I find all the time is when I do events, um, like I, there was one at a major federal agency and I share this story. And it's after that, one of the top executives stood up and shared that he has and his wife have a son with uh, autism who's on the spectrum, who needs special doctors every week. He, she works full time too. They've been wrestling this for years. And women came up to me after the event and said they worked with him for 12 years and had no idea. So when you open up these doors to have these conversations about caregiving, you discover the secret reality that most people are on the same page about trying to give ourselves these options. And suddenly we can create a team and work together inside the company to change the policies and build better cultures. And I mean, that seems to sort of dispel that perception or misperception, I should say, of some sort of weakness. You know, the old stereotype CEO, like, be a man. Or, you know, I remember watching the movie Parenthood where he's like, you know, he wants to, he needs to take more time with his family. And he's like, look, there's younger guys that don't have kids that are willing to put in the hours and take guys to get laid. Like all this old, weird sort of kind of cloud hanging over from a previous generation that just really doesn't exist anymore. But I feel like people are still afraid of it. They are. It's too bad because, so for example, there was this Harvard study that helped pinpoint exactly what was happening. The overwhelming majority of dads want more time at home. Uh, but the the exceptions in general are the C-suite executives. They are people in general who have built their identities around spending all the time at work. And people by nature, due to psychology, look for people who are like them. So very often, a guy in charge will look for a guy like him who spends all his time at work, who doesn't talk about spending time with family, who doesn't look for, for balance, um, and lift him up the ranks and make him the next boss and then him the ultimate CEO. So these exceptions are in their own cycle 
of rising up to the top. And so what it takes is, um, you know, this culture change, but also a reality check, because most of the time, the people who sit at their desks the most are not the most productive, not the most successful, not the most innovative or creative. So when you give organizations these new metrics to judge by and have them take a look, look over the past year, who really had the most profound impact in your bottom line, you often find these people who were also caregivers in their lives. So I have found that that changes the way that they promote, even changes the way that they hire. And ultimately, that leads to the kind of culture that we need. I'm wondering if um, COVID, our experience with COVID over the past year, has brought forth any lessons about that image of the guy at the desk all day being 25% less productive than the guy who's working from home or woman or, or however people identify. I'm, how do you think the lessons of COVID are going to impact this fight? I think it's going to make it easier. Yeah. I mean, so what's happening is that a lot of organizations are having to see that people who work from home are actually just as productive. They can be just as innovative. Um, so that is changing some mindsets. So that right there is helping. And men are doing more at home. That said, even with working from home, there are still bosses who have sexist expectations who say to the guy that he should be available, uh, you know, 24-7, but they understand why their female employees might not be. So there are still people with this old mentality that we need to get rid of. Um, but yes, it's moving in the right direction. It's also important to know, you know, uh, families and especially parents have gone through a ton of stress during COVID. And stress is bad for business. You know, it has all these negative effects. And having programs in your company that help people address stress, mental health is really important. And there was all this coverage about this with women, and there was no coverage about it with fathers. So then I reached out to the American Psychological Association, and I asked them to run the data, and they did. And they got back to me, and they discovered that men are having, that dads are having just as much stress as moms are during COVID, but no one was talking about it. So dads are really stressed too, being pushed anxiety, depression. And um, the, the brand I work with, Dove Men Plus Care, we're doing some work on that for Father's Day, helping them get meditation opportunities and ways to engage in self-care. Because the way that we even talk, not just about work-life balance, but also about mental health, also about you know like taking care of yourself, self-care as a whole person, all of these things really should become gender neutral. And as we do that, we raise the next generation to see that boys and girls can be mentally healthy, can have lives at home, can have lives at work, and still be successful on all fronts as they see fit. Yeah, that's so. It's so fascinating because I personally, I you know, I don't have a family. I wasn't looking for a family time off, but I was looking for a reasonable accommodation to telework more because mm -hmm. of PTS, content warning, military sexual trauma. Okay. And so being in the office with a bunch of people in uniform yeah. was disconcerting. But I had one of those old school bosses who felt that the telework, you won't get anything done, you can't get anything done, etc. And so I was denied and denied these reasonable accommodation requests. There's a little bit of litigation going on <laughs> behind the scenes on that. But um, that old school mentality is still very, very highly uh, prevalent. And I think it's I think it's kind of up to us, the workers, to, to actually bring those conversations to the forefront and show that we can actually, because the interesting part is he was forced to telework everybody for, mm -hmm. for COVID. And all of a sudden you're doing your job great. Yeah, it's better even. <laughs> and so, but, you know, still, I, I think kind of 
starting those conversations in the workplace to show that everyone kind of agrees uh, you're the odd man out guy at the top who thinks that telework is dumb. And actually, the, all the policies and culture shifts that I talk about um, are not at all specific for parents. The whole point is that any person has a life outside of work and shouldn't be expected to sit at the desk, you know, for all those hours or whatever your type of work site is. Um, and ultimately, at some point, you know, what I push for is paid family leave. There's this federal bill called the Family Act. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand is a major sponsor of it and uh, the senator from New York. And um, I'll tell you, you know, it when... When I started looking into it and how it works, I, I found that literally every person at some point will use paid family leave because it's not just to care for a kid. It's to care for an elderly parent or a sick spouse or yourself. Um, and look, I mean, someone like you, I you know can't imagine the hell of what you went through. And there's so many people who have been through so much. And at some point, every person will have a reason to need time to care for someone or themselves. And um, having an insurance system there that works for all people, men and women, is so important. It's been a, a, a national failure to address this, and it's time. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting, too, under Obama, when they added language to the to the discrimination, work discrimination uh, rules that added familial situations, meaning they couldn't discriminate to, uh, for or against you for leave or other things, whether you had kids or didn't have kids, or, you know, were taking care of elderly parents or not. It needs to be equity across the board for all. And I was like, that is a very huge step. And it kind of flew under the radar that they added that language. Yeah. You know, your listeners, um, you know, smart people will, will be interested in this. I'm glad you brought it up. I rarely get to talk about it, but there's a chapter in my book about what are called FRD laws, family responsibility discrimination laws. And the short version is that right now in a case like what I had, um, in order to fight a legal battle, I had to jump over an extra hoop of showing that I wasn't just facing discrimination over having caregiving, but that it was gender discrimination. Um, so when you have FRD laws, you can skip that big hump and you can just go straight to this is responsibility, family responsibility discrimination. You don't have to prove that it's gender discrimination. And there are towns, counties, some states that are starting to develop those. And the more that we have those, the more fair our workplaces will be, the more people will stay in the workforce, the more our economy will rise. It really will lift all boats. Yeah. Bottom line, it's if, if you have to make the money argument, make the money argument <laughs> to, to the CEO. Do you know, it's like we're going to save you so much money here. I always say that. Well, I do. You know, it's been really fascinating talking to you, Josh. I appreciate your candor. And also, I was hoping you could tell everybody where they can follow you on social media and where they can find your book. Yes. Um. So join me at my website, joshlevs.com, J-O-S-H-L-E-V-S.com. Uh, best and the same with my Twitter. I just jumped back on Instagram recently. I've never not been there. And, and my one requirement is everybody listening, stop what you're doing right now and go to LinkedIn and find me, Josh Lives. It's the best place to connect, see what you're up to, see what I'm up to. I love LinkedIn for this. <laughs> awesome. That we don't normally get much many LinkedIn uh, <laughs> information. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate your time. Everybody pick up the book All In, How Our Workforce Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. It's that How We Can Fix It Together that's so important. I appreciate your time, Josh Lives. My pleasure. Thanks. All right, everybody. That's the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Join me tomorrow for interviews with uh, Radhika Marari and Megan Hatcher-Mays. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. On behalf of Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero, I'm Allison Gill, and them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane. 
with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.